morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic uh, Perspective. Steve Williamson here. At least I think I'm Steve Williamson. And sitting across from me is Karen McClellan. You want to say hello, Karen? Morning, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Karen. Hi. <laughs> we have a great guest with you, uh, Dan Single, and he's been on six or seven times. I went and looked on uh, our website, but then I didn't count them, so there you go. But it was a lot, and... Um, I had invited him on the show very much earlier in the year, and he said he really wasn't ready to talk yet about the issues and stuff, about what's happening politically for Democrats. And uh, I think it was really uh, rigorously intelligent of him. Um, as I said, it's kind of a rarity in the modern world to pass up a chance to talk for an hour or 45 minutes. Dan, you're... Your thinking is much more positive than the doom and gloom we get from so many of the pundits in the, in the papers. You want to start talking to us about that? Why are you optimistic? And I, I know you as not a wildly optimistic person. Why are you optimistic about the, the election in the fall where so many people writing, you know, for everything from the New York Times to Washington Post to um, salon, you know, everything are, are so pessimistic. Well, I guess my reply to that is very simple. I'm looking at the objective indicators, uh, and they tell me something very different from what the pundits are seeing. So that's, that's the basic point here. Uh, this all started about, oh, the middle of July, actually the 10th of July, and I was just so fed up with the pundits that I banged out a message to a whole bunch of uh, friends and relations. Including uh, me. Saying apparently. that I thought the pundits were completely wrong. And that if you looked at the economic data, the political data, a whole series of other things, uh, uh, that in fact prospects were a lot better for the Democrats going into the fall election than... Uh, people were forecasting. I thought prospects are really good if you look ahead to 2024. I thought Biden uh, is actually in very good shape and will be even better as time goes on. And um, got a pretty strong reaction. Some people thought I was crazy, but a number of others began to say, you know, maybe you're right. So that's that's kind of uh, how I got into this current mood. So objective indicators, what do you mean by that? I noticed the uh, price of uh, gasoline has dropped 20 plus percent in the last month or so. Is that the kind of thing you're looking at? That's certainly one thing. Uh, it's a little bit crazy, but American voters pay inordinate attention to the price of gasoline. And as of today, it's uh, the average uh, national price is three ninety-five, so that's down a dollar and six cents from its high not that long ago. 
But even more striking, uh, if you look at the stories running this morning, uh, the price of oil is plummeting. And that's because of China. The demand uh, for oil from China keeps going down. The price of oil keeps going down. That means that the price of gasoline is going to continue to go down. And a lot of this is not Biden being super clever. I know he's done some, some good things to try to increase the supply. But it's, it's not something the president can turn around on a dime, right? So there are, there are objective processes, international processes, that are producing these changes in oil, like the Ukrainian war. Sure. And uh, it's also true Biden gets blamed for inflation by the majority of voters. That's uh, very uh, silly on their part because, in fact, inflation is running at the same rate all across the world. It's 9 to 10% in Europe, uh, in uh, Asia, in Australia, wherever you look, uh, inflation is running about the same rate. In fact, it's a little lower now because we have the Fed beginning to take strong action against it. But this isn't Biden. Biden didn't, didn't create the inflation. And uh, uh, your point is right, Steve, that when the inflation goes down, as I expect it's going to go down significantly, it won't especially be uh, his his doing. Um, well, for Americans, there really aren't any other countries that have inflation, apparently. No, <laughs> they, they, they don't look uh, overseas. And I, they don't want to hear that the inflation is worldwide and it's produced by all these economic forces. They just sort of seem to want to blame who's in power, you know. And exactly. it could be a Republican, it could be a Democrat, yeah. but... You know, I think it's the think, average American likes to think the president has that kind of power, regardless of who is in power. That the, you know, the America does these things on its own. We're not influenced by what happens in Australia or Europe or somewhere else. That even if they're experiencing the same issues, you know, we're we're different. And I think a lot of people, you know, so they don't. I think you're right. Yeah. I think people don't uh, don't want to think that the American president doesn't have the power to do it. Uh, it's more comforting to think that we yeah, have control over it. That he's just decided yeah. to let a lot of inflation out or he's just decided to create <laughs> the price of oil. We all know it's silly who follow politics, but I think a lot of the public doesn't know that. Um, what else? What's another indicator, Dan, that makes you uh, so optimistic? And I, I'm glad to hear an optimistic stuff because – I'm afraid among Democrats. I don't know, what do you hear, Karen? It's pretty doom and gloomy around here. Yeah, some of the things seem to be getting a little bit less doom and gloom, you know, on certain issues, you know, but you know, the you know, vote on you know, women on abortion in, in Kansas and a few people saying, you know, that, hey, the Republicans may be out of step with the electorate, but that's really hard to, to predict because you never know. There's so many issues. What other factors, Dan? Well, uh, I, w I would say the Dobbs decision is a very important factor, at least for the, the coming midterms. I, I really think it will have an impact. And Democrats believe that because candidates all across, our candidates all across the country uh, are, you know, going on the air big time uh, with ads blaming the Republicans for Dobbs and promising to correct it, which they can if they get control of the House. So I think you're going to see a lot of uh, uh, women who have been independent voters, maybe even in some cases re 
Republican voters uh, who may be willing to cross over. I think the Dobbs decision will activate a lot of younger voters who may not have come out in November, but they will because of this. So I, I think Dobbs is going to be another factor, and it's another uh, reason for optimism, if you will. So Dobbs and inflation, what else? What else is going to, to increase the Democrats' uh, chances in the fall? I mean, in, here in Arizona, we have strong candidates, but we always have strong candidates, and often they lose anyway. So what else is going on? Oh, I think uh, Arizona is a perfect example of why uh, I'm optimistic, because there, as elsewhere, the Republicans uh, have been nominating unbelievable turkeys for uh, offices up and down the ballot. It's amazing how poor their their candidate selection has been in the primaries. Not uh, they've one, been nominating extremists. Yeah, not one moderate or conservative Republican, old-fashioned conservative, ma- managed to get on the ballot. Yeah. They're all election deniers here. They're all Trumpists. They're all ex- so extreme, you know, uh, uh, about issues like abortion and uh, about immigration. I mean, there's just – it's all I, – I don't know if they even believe that stuff. It's so crazy. Uh but yeah, we do have that, and we'll we'll see what happens. Um, we've got some good candidates. We we'll hope to have them on the show later this uh, this year before the election. Um, okay, more factors, Dan. But what I, else is one, going one on? One thing I point out here, uh, Steve, and I, this is really important. It's true in Arizona, but my heavens, it's true all through the country. You have the same thing going on in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio a whole bunch of states where there are critical Senate races. And so part of my optimism, here it is, I'm, I'll, I'll go on record. All right, I we're keeping notes. When the uh, midterms are over, Democrats are likely to pick up two seats in the Senate. Oh, my gosh, we'd love that. I'll I think we're going to, and I'll tell you where they're coming from. Are you? Would you like that? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're ready. We're I, ready. You I think tell us. We're going to hold everywhere. I don't see any place where we're going to lose a seat. Uh, for example, Raphael Warnock would be very vulnerable in Georgia, but he's up against Herschel Walker, who just doesn't know how to carry the ball in politics. No, he doesn't. Uh, I'm a little worried about Nevada, but Adam Laxalt, the Republican candidate, has not been. Uh, campaigning well i see uh, well certainly pennsylvania john fetterman is going to beat dr oz that seems clear i think mandela barnes is going to knock off ron johnson in wisconsin johnson's unfavorable ratings are incredible they're through the roof that's something i don't know about so his and his ratings are very negative because he does all this crazy conspiratorial and weird stuff, and he's done it now yeah. for three or four years. Once he was a normal Republican, you know, yeah. conservative Republican, and then he just went all completely Trump mm-hmm. on us. So he's very, very weak, and I think Mandela Barnes, uh, who's been elected to statewide office, of course, before and is well known to voters, uh, I think he will. Uh, be able to uh, pull off uh, what would be 
seen as an upset, but I'm not sure it's such an upset. So they're right there, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin add two. And uh, then you have a contest in Ohio between J.D. Vance, the uh, author of Hillbilly Elegy, and Tim Ryan, who's one of the most attractive young Democrats in the Congress. And Ryan is, is doing a terrific job. Uh, he has a lot of money, and in most polls, he's now pulling ahead of Vance. So you have three states there with potential Democratic pickups. I, I'm, I'm not so crazy and optimistic that I think we're going to pick up all three. So my prediction is uh, we're likely to win two out of the three, but it's very possible it could be three out of three, and we could have a three-seat margin in the next Senate. That would be How's wonderful. that for optimism? That is really optimistic. We like that optimism, right, Karen? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is based on fact. This is based on what's actually going on, you know, in these various races. And you said you were even looking towards 2024. If that did happen, all those candidates have made support from Trump a key part of their campaign. Yes. So if, if, though, if that is true and, and things happen in other races – you know, in Arizona and some of the statewide candidates who've all made, you know, Trump supports me, the basis of their campaign, if they start to lose, that changes the Republican picture for nominations in 2024. It makes a, a, you know, a big difference I, in I, people's minds. I, yeah. It's been predicted for some time that you're going to see uh, a Donnybrook in the Republican Party between the people who uh, are sticking with Trump no matter what, and those who have become disgusted with him. And I think you're going to see that. Now, uh, you know, the majority will stick with Trump, but if a sizable minority of Republicans uh, decide that they just can't take him anymore, and we're getting to that point, then that's going to weaken the Republican Party in, in the general election cycles. But strengthen it in the long run to cut him loose, I think. Um, it'll strengthen uh, the Republican Party in the long run to sort of cut Trump loose and to move on to oh, something yes. else. Uh, eventually that will be true, but I'm at the moment looking at 2022 and 24, and I think those are the years where uh, uh, you could expect a lot of internal conflict within the Republican Party, which will benefit us. So there's another objective factor Good. that makes me optimistic. The war, let's take a um, sidetrack for a minute. The, the war between the Republican Party and the FBI has got to be one of the strangest things around for somebody my age who is on the receiving end of FBI intimidation for opposing the war in Vietnam. And to see things swing around, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't believe this is I, the I, FBI I, I and the Republicans. Well, I join you, Steve. Yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. All the Republicans say, uh, say I think, uh, I think Carrie Lake in Arizona is talking about defund the FBI, and these are the same people who thought Democrats were, you know, the Antichrist for, for Democrats using the defund the police phrase, and now we've got Republican leaders saying defund the FBI. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. I, do uh, they really you know just I'm want thinking, to have a war uh, with the FBI? I, I'm old enough to remember Joe McCarthy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, his undoing came when he opposed the Army. 
that, that was the point where mm, a, a number of his followers just, just couldn't continue on with him. Uh, I think this could be sort of the Joe Welsh moment, the McCarthy, the McCarthy Army moment for a lot of Republicans uh, attacking the FBI. The FBI is an institution that so many, you know, middle-of-the-road American voters see uh, as protecting them, uh, fighting crime, uh, basically upholding uh, patriotic values. The FBI is is very highly regarded, I think, in the the middle of the political spectrum. Yeah, and, and I think the, uh, exactly as Karen is saying, for the Republicans to start attacking it this way, uh, I think a lot of normal voters going to look at that and say, "Who are these crazy people to do that?" I wonder, too, about Garland, who's the very middle of the road, very calm, very reasonable guy. He's not visibly partisan, and they're trying to turn him into this partisan conspirator. And they, it's, he's kind of the wrong guy to try to do that to. It yep. might work anyway with hardcore Trumpers, but he he's just doesn't look the part, you know. He's not... He's not been a flaming liberal denouncing the police or anything, you know. He's just been a federal judge. And, right. Um, uh, so he seems like a bad candidate for the role of, of evil conspirator puppet master. I could, I could not agree more, and I thought he played this incredibly well. Yes, he's mild-mannered, but he came right back at them and uh, asked the uh, the judge to reveal the uh, warrant and the, the contents of uh, items seized. And boy, did that ever uh, put a damper on uh, the Republican attack. It is a, it's a broader, uh, I think, value or a broader effect of being transparent. I know that the best thing the CIA has done in a long time is to predict the uh, uh, so much of the details of the start of the uh, Ukrainian war and and Putin's plan. And that gave people confidence that their other predictions might be right after mm-hmm. so much, so many bad predictions in so many other wars. And this, and Garland releasing the data to show what it was actually about, I want... I, I, it really hasn't put the Republicans on the back foot, but, you know, if you were in a more moderate state, it would seem like it would be a good idea to, to edge away from that. Well, if it's worth anything, I think probably it is. The Times ran a story over the weekend about how Trump, when they first raided his, uh, his home, was elated. He said, boy, they've overreached. I've got them now. I'm going to be able to really make political hay with this. And then when uh, Garland appeared and uh, the uh, warrant was released, apparently Trump became extremely downcast. He realized that he he was in a very bad position. And uh, he's been in a dark mood ever since because he now realizes that the public understands there was classified material there, and, and he, highly classified, and that he had refused to release it. He claims so, he can just declassify uh, I, I everything, Dan. definitely uh, caused any number of Republicans to, uh, to think twice. He can just declassify 
information he's not even looked at. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because well, I don't believe yeah. he read oh, all he those has, 12 uh, boxes. His, of, the latest uh, argument is that he de declassified it in his brain. Um, and what uh, is there? <laughs> is there any public trail that he declass? He just made this up because that's his excuse, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Of course, he always makes things up. Yeah, because they were talking about the president has the right to declassify things, but that's done in in, a, in an executive order in writing that such and such has been declassified. This, you know, it's not something yeah, there, you, there you do verbally. There is a process yeah. for it. Um, uh, if he wants to declassify something, it has to go to the agency that would be involved, and they have to sign off on it. Yeah. And I, nothing like that ever happened. It's interesting because, uh, you know, uh, Republicans are always thinking, presenting themselves as more severe about law and order and about keeping to the letter of the law. And they have a president who no one has ever seen have so much contempt for the law and the rules. Mm -hmm. He really does not think they apply to him. He can't even believe they apply to him, and he doesn't care whether they actually apply to him. Yeah, and of course his supporters are going to do crazy things. I see here in, in Phoenix on Saturday there was a group of protesters out by outside the Phoenix FBI office, and some of them were openly armed, since we're an open carry state, carrying signs that say abolish the FBI while visibly carrying weapons outside the FBI office, which is, yeah, again, another thought. And this is Arizona where that's, yeah. I may not like I the FBI. I am absolutely convinced, Karen, and I think this is the point you're making, that that is going to turn off uh, moderate voters all over the place. Yeah, there's already been that one incident in, was it Cincinnati? Where the, yep. The guy yep. shot nail guns. And I must, yeah, would not be at all surprised if some, indiv you know, again, individuals, groups of two or three do something similar in some other city, you know, again, actually, you know, shooting at the FBI. What else are you seeing, Dan? Because you see things well, different than we do. Just to add do, on right? to what Karen said, and okay. this is adding an important factor. What, what she's uh, talking about, this, this uh, war against the FBI, is coming on top of the Janu January 6th committee hearings, which are going to continue into the fall, and they're also going to release a report. So the January 6th riot is front and center in voters' minds. It's interesting. And, uh, I think if you take that was already starting to hurt the Republican cause. If you add in these attacks on the FBI and, you know, the, the reaction to Trump's uh, raid on Trump's home, uh, I think that's another important factor in the current political situation. And so I'd add that to my uh, reasons for optimism. Uh, the most effective you're, you're person on something the... totally different at the moment, I think. And I would say the war in Ukraine. Yeah, because uh, it's been handled about as well as it can be handled. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible thing. All those and the casualties. Uh, they say Russia is losing 500 uh, men a day, 500 casualties. Yeah, and the uh, Ukrainians a couple of hundred. So that's very high casualty compared to any of the wars we've fought. I mean, there's almost no casualties in our wars with Iraq and stuff. We still yeah. dominate the battlefield with all our super weapons. Uh, and this is a much different thing. This is like uh, uh, two fighters just slugging it out. Um, maybe modern weapons will change hand, that. Uh, Biden has been, I, I, the word I would use is brilliant in terms of his handling 
Okay, uh, what's the details on that? He has been sending Ukraine uh, very important weapons that have allowed them to stabilize the battlefield, and I think uh, to very soon will allow them uh, to reclaim some territory. But he's not given them enough to really totally defeat Russia, because he understands that if that happened, if Russia was totally humiliated, it could cause all kinds of problems for global politics down the road. We'd have another so uh, another wounded lion. Balance yeah. that he's maintained, but he's done it just perfectly. Yeah, and, and we would uh, just have a wounded uh, Russia. As out things there. continue, and I think there will be a settlement. I'm I'm now looking ahead to 2024. There will be a settlement in this war sometime, probably within the 2023 calendar year. And my guess is Ukraine will reclaim a, a fair amount of its territory. I think Russia will end up with a land bridge to Crimea, which is what they really want more than anything. And they'll hold on to uh, the section of the Donbass that they had before this current war, which is an area where uh, probably most of the residents would be just as happy uh, being part of Russia. And Ukraine will get back everything else. I think they'll be able to reclaim it. Uh, and I think that will be perceived as a great victory uh, for Biden. So I think in terms of the voters' perception of him, that will eventually come into play, that he's, he's done this so well. And in general... Uh, I should say I used to be on uh, the panel that rates presidents, this group of about 200 historians and political scientists who are asked periodically to rate the presidents, and then the results get publicized. Uh, in any event, I've, I have some experience in rating presidents, and uh, I'm now off it. I've, I'm retired, but... Uh, uh, my guess is that Biden is going to be perceived as an above-average president, at least if he continues uh, the way he has. And uh, looking at the presidents we've had since World War II, I would rate him as one of the three best. The problem, Dan, is that, I mean, I don't watch much TV, so I don't see Biden. But when a few times I have uh, looked at uh, Biden's presentation. He he looks weak, uh, yes. and he looks old, and he looks yep. undynamic on TV. What well, should he if do? He uh, basically tames inflation, maintains uh, uh, does that, and maintains the economy at a, a, a very good level avoiding recession, what's referred to as a soft landing. If he does that, if gas prices come down, uh, if people feel uh, comfortable about where their lives are going, if he wins this war in Ukraine, keeps peace elsewhere, uh, does some of the other things, and passes legislation for climate change, as he's done, major legislation and for various other important items, 
Uh, if he's done all that, I think the public perception will change no matter uh, how weak he does appear. And I, I grant you that. That's his major liability. Tell us a little uh, bit about the recent, uh, the recent legislation uh, so folks get a better sense of it. I know if you sit around and read New York Times, you've got all the details. But I don't know how much of it comes across, you know, like, uh, uh, well, on radio, for example. Well, let's, I mean, let, let's get some of it across then. Uh, this, this bill, uh, 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 with almost $400 billion of investment in dealing with climate change, uh, I think that's a pretty big deal. And then, of course, it has finally broken the ice and Medicare will have a chance to negotiate uh, the prices of prescription drugs. Uh, for seniors, and that will that will echo all the way through the market for prescription drugs eventually. Uh, there's all kinds of other good stuff in there. There's uh, taxes finally on large corporations and the wealthy who are avoiding paying any. Uh, uh, there's, I think, uh, an overlooked achievement. There's the bill that is going to boost American... Uh, Research and manufacturing in the area in areas of science and technology where we were uh, in danger of falling behind. That's a really important uh, piece of legislation long term. And then there's the big infrastructure bill, which he pushed through on a bipartisan basis, over a billion in spending. And those projects are, are starting to take place all through the country. So there's an awful lot that he has done, and there's there's more coming. Um, I I think it's probably one of the best. Well, I I don't think probably it is one of the best legislative records of any president in the first year and a half of office. Again, since World War II, since since FDR. And you're uh, a historian of all this. So, but LBJ had other problems. Yeah, so, LBJ. Had uh, uh, I think the record is is very clear, um, and when we start looking at the presidential race in 2024, that's when that kind of uh, uh, achievement will come front and center. When people will start paying more attention and asking, "Well, what has he actually done?" And, and the, the answer is quite a lot. Yeah, the financial effects of this bill. That would affect everyday people and their lives. Won't you know? This going they're not going to be seeing that until 2023. Like the yeah. drug prices, some of these things, maybe in the investment in the in solar industry that might make it more uh, affordable for people to do their own. So those things are going to take you. Know, That's number, what I see. That would be 2023, and people will start to see the the pocketbook effects of some of these things. Prices like, haven't yeah. gone down on drugs yet. What was the with that bill? Yeah. And they just won't have waited long yeah. enough for the prices to yeah. come down because once you have competitive buying, they are going to come, come down. down. It's just old-fashioned capitalism. Yeah. But well, there's some other other provisions in that bill. For um, one thing, uh, it makes it illegal for drug companies to raise their prices uh, faster than the rate of inflation. That's a provision most people aren't paying attention to. And they've been raising them way beyond inflation in in recent years. This will stop that. 
And in addition, for seniors on Medicare, and seniors are important voters, uh, there's an absolute cap of $2,000 a year for their spending on prescription drugs. Mm. So there's some really important little pieces to that bill. Well, that's good to hear. Let's let's wander further afield. Uh, do you think Biden is going to run again, or is it too early to to guesstimate that? Um, my guess is that he will if he's healthy. And if not, there'll be what will happen? There will be an actual primary, or do you yes. think he will hand the presidency to Kamala or try he can't. to? He can't do that, and uh, I don't think he wants to. I don't think so either, but yeah, I don't know. So you're thinking, and in that, I, in that case, he would she sort could of win in an open competition. Yeah. So your guess is that if something led him to decide not to run, he might just sort of step back and not endorse anybody right away, and wait yes. yeah. wait for the primary process to. I don't know shake if he'll out. do it, but that's what would make sense. And let's see who the strongest candidate is. Um, I think Dan and I share doubts about. Kamala's electoral uh, attractiveness, whether she's um, whether she will be popular enough to, to win the the race um, based on I don't know she just has not done a good job of the vice presidency I don't yeah. keep, know if, if the public really probably doesn't know that one way or the other she just kind of disappeared and vice presidents vice, disappear vice presidents so tend to vice presidents tend to disappear you know, when they're in that in in that office that's sort of a, a function of the office it's you know doesn't always give you visibility if you're you know looking at a future we, run I, <laughs> I think I would would say though that she has disappeared more than most. Mm. We talked to Tim Miller uh, last week, and he was a Republican operative for a long time who has kind of switched sides. He uh, does programs on NMSNBC. Um, we asked him, and I will ask you, is what are the, the good issues that Democrats could r- should run on? Tim thought that running on the most important issue, which is the subversion of our elections and the country itself, is not is not a good issue to run on as I opposed agree. to important issue. So you agree? It's, a, it's an issue to mention, but not not a central issue. Why do you think that, Dan? Oh, because voters uh, don't pay attention. It's a more detailed, complex issue. And that's something voters are, are not really willing to look at carefully. That's yeah. what Tim thought. The things a, that don't fit in the sound bites are always hard, you know. To yeah, exactly, exactly. So what should uh, they run I on? I think the issue the Democrats will run on in 2024, if that's what we're talking about, they'll run on the economy because the economy will be in beautiful shape by then. And they'll run on the, the uh, triumph in Ukraine. And they'll run on Republican extremism, and they'll certainly run on abortion. All those. And they'll probably run on this this, this fall. I, we already have ads attacking our Senate, Republican senatorial candidate on abortion by somebody. Yep. I don't know who did it, but I, I saw a picture of the, the yeah. ads on a, one of the websites. It's, it's running all over the country. It will be more uh, prominent this year. Mm-hmm. But if we 
we lose the House, and I'm not predicting that we're going to take the House. I think that could be a bridge too far in 2022. Uh what will be needed eventually is national legislation to codify the law, uh, the right to abortion. And that could then be a big issue in 2024. Democrats could say, you give us control, uh, we will pass such a law. And that could bring out a lot of younger voters in particular. Yeah, I think so. I think those are completed. And then the other thing is Republican extremism. I think Democrats should keep pushing on that. Uh, they're a crazy bunch, Dan. I mean, they I, are. I put it in. I, mean, I can put it in like academic terms that uh, that a historian would. But just looking at it as a, as a guy walking down the street, I mean, they just kind well, of gone crazy. You can make crazy. a soundbite out of that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. Well, the other thing is I think a good soundbite for the abortion issue is let women decide and take away the word choose. I think choose is not working anymore as a slogan. I think you need to have go to decide. Let women decide. I think a slogan like that, everybody would know what you were talking about. Let women decide, not the government. That's your slogan. Well, I, I think the, uh, the another way to put that is to refer to this as forced birth. Say that what Republicans want to do is force women to give birth against their will. They're taking away the freedom of women. That's a good way to frame it. Yeah, I don't think that works as well. I think forced birth is absolutely accurate, as, as I, I'm sure, yeah. Karen, you think yeah. so. Yeah, but, but that's that's the kind of phrase that gets, you know, that's to some people's ears sounds extreme. It may be accurate, but it, sound, you know, it sort of gets dismissed as ex- extremism as opposed to what Steve talking about, about, you know, making it, you know, decisions. The word decision and freedom sure, seem to that, that women all, should decide these issues is, for themselves. You know the kind of thing that the Democrats mm-hmm. can pick up on. Uh, the other issue we haven't talked about is the Supreme Court, and I would love to see. Uh, it, it won't be a major issue, but as a as again a secondary issue, reform of the Supreme Court mm-hmm. would be very very uh, valuable. I think a lot of people are are upset at the court. When and would that I be don't an think issue? You can then. do that by expanding the court. That that's politically toxic. But I think what you want to do is talk about imposing term limits on the justices. And the sweet spot, everyone seems to agree, eighteen years. And so after eighteen years they get bumped up to senior status, they remain on the court because the Constitution requires it. But they don't get to sit on cases except when, you know, there's one of the, the nine active judges uh, has to uh, recuse or is ill. Interesting. So uh, I think that would be the, the way to do it that would have great public acceptance. And uh, to do that, Democrats have to uh, get rid of the filibuster, and that's another reason to put them in control. Yeah, that's a, that's a real reach. All right, so we've got a few minutes left. Um, what else do you see coming? I guess most of the reforms that Democrats have gotten in before the uh, uh, midterms, that's done. So what happens after the midterm? Suppose the midterms go like you say, the House stays almost the same, maybe a few more Republican. We take the Senate by a couple of spaces, and we still have, uh, of course, Biden being president, 
what happens, what should Democrats do or what should just ordinary policymakers do next? Well, what I think will happen, I don't expect them to be productive years if the uh, House goes Republican. I think what they'll do is launch crazy investigations, and I suspect they're going to try to impeach Biden. Yeah, I, I saw the, the uh, Benghazi thing. We did a bunch of shows on it. There was never any there there. It was just all political posturing. And I don't know, what did they have, 20 investigations, none of which came up with anything. Most of it was based on lies, exaggeration, and the kind of misinformation that happens when events occur. Right after the events occur, there's always, you know, the police have the number of, of this wrong. And it's, everything is always a little bit wrong right until things are reflected on by historians, for example. <laughs> Well, that's what historians have some use. Um, but I, I think the Republicans have gotten themselves so far off the deep end that the kinds of behavior you would see from a Republican House will be even more outrageous than we've seen, and it will, be, it will become self-evident. Again, to those moderate voters in the center who will hold the key to 2024. So I would expect uh, that if they, they do get the House, that will be a big part of the story. The Republicans doing all kinds of crazy stuff, Democrats calling them on it, and then making that a basic campaign issue. What about the campaigns of so many Republicans to deny the election results in 2000. Election denial seems to be a major tenet of being a Republican now. Even a denial in areas where they won two to one. They still, they still harassed, <laughs> well, they, they still harassed the recorders and stuff in an area where they, they won magnificently for them. So. I, I think that's a, uh, uh, you know, another piece of uh, the puzzle the Democrats can point to and say these guys are just totally uh, out of their tree. They're they're absolutely nuts. And uh, do you really want uh, election deniers in charge of your state government? Do you want them in the U.S. Uh, Congress? So I think that's that's another good issue for us. We've got about uh, two minutes left, a little less. Well, can I add one thing sure, that I think ahead. is going to be very important? I go think ahead. climate change is going to come even more front and center than it has been, and that has to do with the extreme weather events that are taking place. There was, uh, there's a story running in the Washington Post this morning. They got a bunch of climate scientists together to predict what's going to happen, and uh, the prediction is that by uh, 2050, middle of this 30 years from now, uh, there will be 91 days with temperatures over 100 degrees in the state of Florida, 70 days with 100-degree weather in Texas. Well, with that, uh, we're going to have to it's the Republican areas that are going to get hit by this. Yeah. Well, we have to wrap up the show, Dan. We've got to make a couple of announcements here. We've got a minute left. We want to thank all our supporters. We really appreciate your support. 
Aurelia PCA Door Support. Door, do have any events coming yeah, up, the, um, Karen? The, eight, the 18th this Thursday is the Door Breakfast on Zoom, and they're focused on getting out the vote and motiv- how you motivate voters, you know, which is what we've been talking about today, what issues motivate voters. They've got Senator Raquel Tehran, who's the chairman of the Arizona Democratic Party, and a couple of women who work on some of these other not, you know, uh, small P political get-out-the-vote issues on how to, how to motivate people. So. Uh, join us next week, folks. Uh, this pod is the show is available on podcast, like all our other shows. It'll be available probably on Wednesday. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.